Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Long View. My name is Jeff Gamble, G. Gamble on Board Game Geek, and with me again today is Jim Shaw, Red V on Board Game Geek. And today we're going to be discussing the game Alien Frontiers. Uh, this is a game that is designed by Tori Neiman. Uh, at its heart, it is basically a worker placement game. The twist in this game is that there are dice that you use to place on the game board to gain various benefits as opposed to any kinds of pawns or meeples. Uh, the game, I would also say, is definitely one of chaining your actions together on your turn, which we'll discuss later in more detail. And the game does involve some direct conflict, which is uh, often something that is not found in this style of game. So, Jim, uh, you actually brought this game up when you and I were talking about doing this podcast, and, and you wanted to talk about Alien Frontier. So, uh, what is it that really attracted you to this game, and what is it... Uh, that made you want to talk about it on the episode today. Well, to talk about it, uh, or what made me want to talk about it, was that it was the first like Kickstarter darling. It was it almost like ushered in this new age of Kickstarter games, of pre-ordering it, of supporting it and backing it, and all that kind of stuff. And although I wasn't an original backer, I got it early when it first came out. Right. Um, and it's a game I uh, really enjoy. Um, now, the obvious comparisons, Jim, are always going to be made to games like Kingsburg, for example, and, and other games that have come out where you use dice. I'm actually staring at one that you brought over for me today, uh, an oldie, uh, Ispahan, which is another game where you use dice in order to kind of, you know, placement of your dice determines what sort of resources or what effects you get in the game. So there is this kind of tradition before Alien Frontiers in this using dice as worker placement kind of game. So when you heard about Alien Frontiers, what was it that attracted you to that? Was it the dice? Was it the theme? What, you know, what, what was it? It's really everything. I like everything about this game. Like from the theme of you know, selling a planet to its 50s style retro uh, sci-fi artwork uh, to the use of dice. I love rolling dice and you know, chucking them, making do, and then using cards and things to adjust those dice. It is a game that hits on a lot of uh, different points for me. Right, right. And I guess we should also mention that the art, of course, was done by uh, Mark Maxwell. And I, I think you're right. It really did hit that kind of Buck Rogers kind of uh, early uh, pulp science fiction sort of style for me, which I, I kind of found very enjoyable. Uh, I do want to kind of question you on the theme, though, because one of the things, you know, we, we sat and played it again this morning before we decided to record this because while both of us have a lot of experience uh, playing this game, you actually more than me, I think, um, it had been a while since I had played it, so I was grateful when you suggested, hey, before we record the episode, why don't we play it one more time, kind of put everything fresh in our memory. And theme is one of the things, Jim, that I actually thought this game was a little thin on. Now, you know, but just, let me explain what I mean by that. It's a worker placement game. It's a resource conversion game. You are placing your dice in order to gain resources, in order to turn them into something else, uh, in order to place these colonies. I mean, this could have just as easily been colonies in the New World. It could have just as easily been any other type of worker placement game. In other words, there isn't too much that screams theme to me in the mechanics of the play. Uh, as far as the board art and the presentation goes. But when, when you look at how the game is played, 
I don't really that's that's actually one of the small beefs that I have with the game is is that I don't feel that the theme is is something that really shines through. These don't look like little ships, they're dice. And I know that might sound stupid. Uh but again, it it just it, it's another kind of disconnect from the idea of this this great science fiction theme where we found this cool forgotten planet and you know, we're we're exploring it and finding all these alien technologies and and that's one of the things that that is very cool about the game. However, I kind of feel that, you know, when you look at the fact that at heart these alien technologies are ways to modify your die rolls, it's it's again, it's just sort of a veneer in order to serve the mechanical need of the game. What what would you say to that? I'd say you're probably correct, but I would be hard pressed to say that Kingsburg uh, follows its theme very well. It's not like you're—I mean, you're rolling dice and trying to appease a certain character. Um, even Ispahan, you're just rolling dice to set up the markets or whatever it may be. Um, it's just hard to—I would be hard pressed to make a or name a game that can use dice and dice manipulation, right. and that you would still step back from it and say. Wow, those dice really feel like that was a really X. thematic experience, yes. right? Right. Um, well, that's a fair enough. That's a fair enough point. Yeah. But that being said, I mean, Alien Frontiers has that theme that is just appealing. Like, right. if I'm going to stare at a board, I like this to stare at that board. You know, like it's I like it more than Kingsburg. You know, I like it more than uh, East Bahan. Um And the theme, whether pasted on or not, is appeasing even the idea of let's call them little easter eggs that you know they named each of the valleys on the planet after yeah that's a good piece um, of geek culture there yes you know after classic sci-fi authors right and it's just it's an enjoyable thematic experience even though the mechanics of the game may not resonate through to those mechanics right right and i think that that's probably a, a a fair statement that you made you know that i can't really think of any dice game off the top of my head that really I, I guess maybe something like does Vegas Showdown use dice? No, um, I know Lords of Vegas use dice in a in a kind of a very interesting way, and there, and, and that kind of in in a way connected for me as far as the dice matching the theme. You know, the idea of you, did you have any experience playing that game, Lords of Vegas? Uh, yes, yeah. I played it once. Yeah, um, you know, and and that's that's a game where the dice. And it's not just because it's Dice and Vegas. It was because of the whole... You actually could gamble in that game. You you actually could roll dice against, you know, the house. Uh, meaning, you know, a casino of another player. And, uh, you know, the, the, the idea of having a casino, remodeling a casino, the casino's changing sort of ownership uh, in a very kind of a fluid sort of way... Um, you know, maybe that for me hit more thematically than Alien Frontiers did. But that being said, you know, I, I talked about in the last episode when uh, I recorded an episode with uh, Justin Nordstrom on uh, Paths of Glory, talked about the idea that in a lot of these Euro games, there's an engine under the hood. And even though I'm not totally sold on the integration of the theme with the mechanics, there's no doubt that the engine under the hood in this game is is very, very refined. I mean, it really hums. It's uh, There is really nothing that I don't like um, about... Is that a double negative? There, there really isn't anything I don't like. That might be better. Yes. Nothing that I don't like. Anyway. There really isn't anything that I don't like about the mechanics of the game and the way you use those dice to place. 
uh, in much the same way that I really enjoyed Kingsburg. Uh, you know, uh, Alien Frontiers, you know, to, to borrow the term, really, um, you know, was a Jones Theory decision for me when I looked at Kingsburg and Alien Frontiers. For me as well. I mean, I actually Jones theoried out uh, two games, I believe. Uh, Kingsburg, it replaced Kingsburg for me, and Mission Red Planet, because it still has that colonization and area control of, you know, taking over a planet, um, which is most of the game of Mission Red Planet. Um, so it made space for two games on my shelf. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, Mission Red Planet is is another one that, uh, you know, had that sort of had that steampunk kind of theme to it. Um, and, and one thing I think that Mission Red Planet shares in common with Alien Frontier, since you bring it up, is that direct player interaction. That yeah. direct, you know, um, block, not just blocking your neighbor, but also actively messing with them. I mean, there were roles in Mission Red Planet that you could select that would allow you to take people off of a ship, that would allow you to, uh, I think, you know, blow ships up as soon as they left the launch pad, the saboteur, I believe it was. And that's one of the things I do like about Alien Frontiers because uh, let's talk about that. Let's talk a little bit about player interaction in this game because one of the things that I think sets this game apart is the is that notion. You know, a lot of worker placement games, there is minimal player interaction, at least in the games that I've played, other than blocking. Mm-hmm. And I know that, you know, I don't want to get into that big debate over, you know, whether you have to directly attack somebody else for it to be true player interaction or any of that kind of stuff. I, but I think player interaction, to my mind at least, has to be something where it's not just about taking something somebody wants before them, but also about taking things that they already have or things that they have built or somehow directly harming or impeding your opponent. And even though we both played Nice Jim in this last game that we played and, and we didn't go to the, uh, what's that area of the board? The Raiders Outpost. Yeah, the Raiders Outpost. I mean, it's there. And I thought about using it quite a few times, and I saw you eyeing it up more than a couple times, and, and uh, it's a very valid option. I mean, if, especially if you're blocked out of resources in this game, you know, the two main resources being, of course, the solar energy and the uh, moon kind of ore. And if you're really blocked out or locked out, uh, you know, sometimes that Raider's Outpost is, is very effective because not only does it give you what you need, but it also then slows down and, and directly hinders and impedes your opponent. What do you think as far as the player interaction in these kind of dice games? East Bahan we've talked about. We've talked about Kingsburg, Alien Frontiers. What are your thoughts on this player interaction? Is that something that sets this game apart, do you think? I personally think it does. I think Alien Frontiers has a higher level, especially with more players. When you get to three and four players, uh, when they roll their dice and have to place them on the board, their options are getting whittled down. So at some point, someone's going to have to go to that Raiders outpost you know, to steal from another player because either they can't get the um, resources that they need or they need an alien tech card. Um, you also have the player interaction of constantly back and forth over the regions of the planet, you right. know, and as you are... Challenging each other for challenging control. Challenging each other, yeah. yes, right. for control on the planet, uh, to try and take away those points and, you know, to take away the benefits of controlling each planet from each player, and there is, and also the uh, placement of cards. You can place the isolation ray, which eliminates the benefit of a region of the planet, so that a player doesn't have that uh, ability anymore. You can also um, attack... 
Well, there are cards that let you attack, um, uh, you know, other players' ships, for example. Yes. Uh, you know, you can discard a, a card that will force your opponent to destroy uh, a ship. Destroy a ship. Uh, actually, I was sitting staring at one of those, trying to think about whether I should burn it in order to slow you down. So, yeah, there's definitely a lot of uh, a lot more interaction, and you know, there's also the the added layer to the game of that area control. You've brought that up a couple of times. Is that something that really, you know, I don't Kingsburg doesn't have that. No, but that's what Mission Red Planet is. Is it's almost like a Alien Frontiers is an amalgamation of almost those two games, you know, with the uh, shiny veneer of a 50s sci-fi theme. You know, you've got your rolling dice, gathering your resources, mm-hmm. you know, and trying to launch things onto the planet to control parts parts of the uh, planet. So, you know, you're getting, in my opinion, the best of both worlds. You know, you're you've also got the developing turns like you know you're gonna roll your dice and you're gonna see what you can do you know? right and, and right that's something that yeah the game is definitely one of chaining that was one of the notes that I, that I made I mean there's been a, there's been quite a few games that I can think of that try to where, where the order in which you do your actions is extremely important I mean I think of games like uh, Helvetia which just came out uh, that's a Matthias Kramer one um, I think back to Newland which is mm-hmm. another sort of chaining game. Oh, like a logistics where, puzzle. Right, yeah, like a logistics puzzle. And and there's you know there were a few turns that I had because of some alien tech cards that I had. Uh, remember, these uh, alien tech cards are, are cards that give you some sort of a special ability or special benefit. Um, so, for example, I had one where I could use a die and then relocate it to another open position and I use that to my advantage quite a you know quite a few times you also uh, reminded me Jim that uh, you know if you can found a colony you gain the benefit of that colony of that region if you control it immediately which then you can use to say produce a ship more cheaply from the shipyard or gain extra solar then when you go and visit that later and so there's that element of chaining that logistics puzzle that really uh, that, that does appeal to me in this game And I think it makes for a larger decision space and gives you a lot more choices. Uh, Even when it seems like the game is funneling you uh, into certain choices because of the board being occupied by other dice, you still do have some kind of neat little tricks that you can pull out depending on the order in which you do things, which is one of the, I think, the strengths of this game. Um, And also the fact that it does it without being too complex it's, yeah it's without very, being too complex yeah it is a very um almost like simple game like you know when you look at those all right this is uh, you're gonna roll your dice you're gonna place them at these eight or nine regions on the board mm-hmm. and you're gonna take the benefit of each spot but the way that it allows you to get to those spaces you know is very interesting and right. you know, it allows you a lot of choice and in fact almost if you you can take. You have a lot of wiggle room to get to right. uh, manipulate your dice, uh, figure out what you're going to do on this turn. There's multiple ways to get certain resources. So if you're blocked from, or you can go to the solar panel, you know, and then use that at the market to to buy ore. Right. You know, you have different ways to um, get what you need. Yeah. And at the same, I'll, doing all this in a simple and uh, easy to understand way, you know. So you're not fighting the rules; they all make sense. They all are, you know, pretty clear. And there's no looking stuff up in the book. There's no really niggly 
little hanging no, out no there exceptions. exceptions. No, no, nothing like that. Yeah, and I and I like the the fact that you know you you talked about wiggle room. That was another thing that I wanted to talk about with this game. That that is something that I enjoy. Which is that uh, I am really not lucky with dice. I just played Stone Age the other night uh, with my wife and got completely destroyed in that game um, just because I couldn't seem to roll anything but ones or twos for the entire night. One of the things that I do appreciate about Stone Age, though, um, and I also appreciate about Alien Frontiers, is the the notion that you know all of these games that we've been talking about, uh, there's ways to mitigate the luck of your die roll. And those alien tech cards, you know, if you accumulate, if you if you invest the time in accumulating those cards, you can really tremendously manipulate the actual role that you got. And that's something that I really appreciate, especially as a person who tends to be unlucky. Um, it's nice to have that option. I mean, Kingsburg had the the plus chips, yeah. There's yes. the little chips that yeah, you could, little plus you know, two plus two chips you can turn those in. Um, you know, and, and Stone Age, of course, has the tools. Uh, I find that out of all of the games, though, that that have dice as a mechanic and ways to mitigate the luck of the die, I think Alien Frontiers does it to my liking the best because uh, Stone Age, for example, you can accumulate tools to help you mitigate the luck of your die rolls by you know tapping your tools in order to increase the results of your die roll, but they're very expensive. When you look at what it costs you in the game in order to gain those tools and the number of tools that you have to accumulate to really get an appreciable effect. I mean, a mm-hmm. really, are you familiar with Stone Age, Jim? Uh, vaguely. If I remember vaguely. right, you're always trying to get a higher thing. Yes, so the tools only to... let you add yes. plus one, plus two, or plus three, I believe. Absolutely. But first you have to kind of build up, you know, three plus one, like three level one tools, which each of those tools will allow you to add one pip to, you know, your die roll. So you could get a maximum plus three, Okay. Then you can upgrade them to level twos, and then you can upgrade them to level threes. But you're looking at three, six, nine basically turns that you would have to invest in order to substantially, you know, get get serious impact on your die rolls. Um, you probably wouldn't need to go to level three on all of them. Don't don't get me wrong, but I mean, level twos are really helpful if you can get them all to level two. So e- even then, you're looking at six turns where you would have to be able to actually go to the toolmaker's hut. There's only one spot on the board, you know. One of the things about Alien Frontiers that I like is that you do have these cards that are much cheaper in game turns. Uh, yeah. I'm sorry, in game terms in in order to acquire them. Yeah, you can get two turn two cards a turn. You sure, know, you could if easy. you wanted to. Absolutely. And and often I find uh, uh when placing my dice, I mean, you know, the first thing that I look for is like, you know, I got to get ore. If if I can get ore, ore seems to be the tightest area on the board. Mm-hmm. Uh or in the shipyard. It's like, okay, if I can get ore, I'm going for it every single time, pretty much without exception, unless I have that tech card that allows me to go to the market and exchange one for one. Um, so, you know, that's always kind of like the, the, the first area of pressure for me in this game. Um, but, you know, the, by the time I've placed those dice in those areas that I feel are kind of essential, I usually then have one or two dice, especially mid to late game, where I'm kind of like, well... I could move a colony along, or I could just take a tech card. Um, you know, because it's it's not a, what is it eight or higher, right? Equal to or higher than eight in order to yes. acquire a tech card. So, not a real arduous total to to get with just a couple of dice. So, uh, I do find that getting these tech cards is a whole lot easier in terms of the investment uh, cost in game, uh, in, in actual. I'm not saying that game right. Game time. Yeah. Well, it's not just the time. It, it's 
the amount of the, the number of actions that you have during the course of the game. Uh, often it, it seems cheaper to me in the economy of the game, if you want to think of it that way, to get tech cards than it does to get those tools in Stone Age. It's, it's much more difficult. And that's something that I, I like about Alien Frontiers because then, of course, the natural conclusion of that would be it really opens the game up to the player to allow them to manipulate those dice in some way, shape, or form so that you can, you know, work with what you have rolled and not just feel like, oh, man, you know, I just, I, I'm totally boogered for this entire turn because I just didn't get the rolls I needed. And that's the other uh, big difference there, too. I mean, like I said, in Stone Age, you're only adding plus one, plus two, or plus three. You're only just adding. Right. Um, in Alien Frontiers, you're trying to collect those sets. You're trying to get three of a kind, or a straight, or a pair, whatever it may be. You're trying to get those sets, and you need to manipulate the dice in a lot of different ways. Um, one of the cards lets you subtract a point. One of them lets you add a point. One mm-hmm. of them lets you flip the dice. One of them lets you re-roll. You know, and you can really do a lot of stuff. It's um, a bit like uh, the the King's Court. King to court the king. To court the king. To court the king. Yeah, you know, like where a, if you went Lehman, I think, near uh, the end of that, that, when you have all of your. Um, cards yeah. you can really manipulate and work those dice and this every turn you're almost doing that you know it's not like near the end of the game you know but that's again that's only if you want to go in that way if you want yeah. to go towards that alien tech strategy right there are other ways and other viable options uh to uh work around that i mean i just when we just played i played a very low tech strategy i really wasn't manipulating the dice that much no mm-hmm. um and i only had three tech cards the whole game right you know and one of them i just used one time for the positron field bonus, you know, right. and that's the other thing. The cards are also double use, at least for most of them. Um, they either they have their dice manipulation bonus, mm-hmm. and they all have a discard bonus. Yeah, powerful, usually a very powerful yes. discard bonus, right? And that's either increasing the value of a territory, locking a territory, right. removing another player's ship, uh, removing another player's uh, territory bonus. Uh, you can really use them in multiple ways, and right. You know, they've done a real nice job at making your turn very interesting, like, you know, as yes. far as puzzling through what you're going to do. Right. Now, this kind of reminds me uh, a little bit, uh, you know, you, you mentioned this idea of uh, strategy. And one of the things I wanted to ask you about, because you do have more experience with this game than I do, is, you know, I'm kind of left to feeling that, that there's not a lot of long-term strategy. Like, I, I don't think I've ever played a game of Alien Frontiers where I'm like, okay... I'm going to go for this specific strategy, and I'm going to ride that, and I'm going to see if I can win with it. Uh, to my mind, Alien Frontiers is much more of a sort of an optimization game. Like, you know, okay, what can I do? What is the optimal thing that I can do, given all of my Alien Tech cards, given my die rolls, given the board state? What is the best thing for me to do this turn? Uh, there, there seems to be very little long-term strategy, at least to my mind, and it's because of all the things that we're talking about, because you, you, you don't really know what you're going to be able to do next turn. You don't know who's going to block what, especially in a multiplayer game. You know, you you might have, I mean, you, you outlined to me, Jim, this great strategy of, uh, what, what was the strategy you outlined? Oh, um, the Herbert Valley lets you build ships for at a cheaper cost, um, so you would go to Herbert Valley, uh, get your ships, uh, get an extra ship. 
uh, and then immediately, as soon as you can, terraform it. So you'd have maybe a couple tech cards, um, you'd have the discount on the ships, and then you would be terraforming your ships as quickly as possible. So you'd always be around three or four ships, you know, and because you'd get that ship for free because you'd be getting the discounted price because you own Herbert Valley. Um, and basically, you just play the game. Real Pushing quick. out those colonies, yeah. Yes, you're trying, trying to, you're to, trying to you, end the game quickly. You're trying to end the game quickly. That being said, Alien Frontiers is not a game that you say, this is my strategy, I'm going to go for it the whole game. Right. Because it just may not work for you. It's, it's hard to push it where you want to. You have to allow yourself to think the way your turns are going right. to tell you to think. So you have to think on your feet. You have to react to what you're right. rolling. You have to react to what your uh, opponents are doing. Right. Um, it reminds me a lot of Mage Knight in that way. I mean, Mage Knight's a very uh, hot game right now. And, you know, Mage Knight is, is, to my mind at least, it's what can you do with the cards in your hand this turn at this moment? It's very difficult to think long-term in that game either. So w- would you agree then that this game is more of a tactical game than a strategic game? I would say it has some str- it has strategies to it. But you need to tactically adjust those strategies on the fly. Right. You know? Because even that great strategy you just outlined where you're kind of getting a ship for free and you're you know, terraforming as quickly as possible, which of course gets you points on the board, which of course is going to get you more special abilities as you go to different areas of the planet. You know, That only works as long as other people aren't terraforming. And because if somebody else terraforms, you're then, blocked then, out. then you're blocked. You know, I mean, I, you know, thinking through your strategy... Um, there is the the one card that I used. Um, oh, geez, what is it? The the blaster cannons or something? I believe it's called that will allow you to actually forcibly move somebody else's ship. Um, if you had that card, given the strategy that you've outlined, that would be extremely powerful. But then again, you're you know the game is built though. I think. To mitigate long-term strategy, or, or not even mitigate, but like almost eliminate long-term strategy, because there's nothing to keep someone from going to the Raiders outpost, Jim. Oh, yes, and, and, stealing... And, and stealing a tech card that is integral to that idea that you had of long-term strategy. So because you can be blocked so easily by other players, and because you have that, that great direct player interaction Raiders outpost that we talked about, where you can actively mess with your neighbor... I, you know, I, I really don't know if it's possible to have any kind of long-term strategy in this game. And, and I wonder if that's something that, that bothers people. Um, because when I look at the rankings on this game, it's ranked well. It's a good game. But again, you know, I'm putting it up against a lot of other, you know, really good dice games and dice manipulation games. And I agree with you. I think this one does it better than any of the other ones. But... It's not because it's an overly strategic game. Well, the... I, I mean, the luck and the randomness, I think they're going to open the game up to casual play. You know, like, you could play it with someone who maybe doesn't play games very often, and they'll have a just as much of a chance. Against, Is this a gateway? Uh, maybe a bit too complex for a gateway, but right there. You know, yeah. I think it's right there. Um, but... There are other strategies, and you just have to know when to jump to them. Like, I mean, there are... Well, give me an idea of, of, of another strategy. Um, that, you can that press you can colonies. That, that would be the Asimov Crater, where you're, you can get uh, multiple... Uh, you get a bonus movement on the colony track. Right. The colony track sits at the bottom of the board. You put dice there. You push a colony out. Um, the Asimov Crater lets you move an extra space for two or three dice. So instead of two or three spaces, you can go three or four spaces. Right, right. And... 
you know, if you are going to fight me over here at Herbert Valley, I can maybe run for that one. Or if I can't get ore, or if that's gone, I can go to the colony constructor, you know, and try and get ore and, and land colonies that way. Right. You know, um, but the it's, it's just knowing when and how to jockey around and dance around the dice that you have and, and really adjusting yourself on the fly. Right. So that, you know. that to me says tactics then. This is definitely a tactical game. Yeah, but, and you can never – don't lose sight of the main goal of the game. That's right. always been the advice. You're trying to put colonies on the planet. Yeah. You know, if, you, if what you're doing is not going to help you get more colonies on the planet, then you're wasting some of your time. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Um, but again, I think the game does an admirable job of funneling you to that conclusion. Yes. Yeah? Uh, all right, so you said you thought this was a little too complicated to be a gateway. Why? Um, I think... I mean, all right, so basically you've got a bunch of Yahtzee combinations. Everybody's familiar with the Yahtzee combinations mm-hmm. ideas. Um, I think maybe the area control aspect. I think the... You don't accumulate a score. The snapshot score fluctuations up and down. I think some people might find that a little odd. I know. I'm, I know. I find that off-putting. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm not particularly fond of that myself. Um, uh, you know, it's like I'm winning. No, I'm losing. Yes, I've, I've stolen points oh, from no. you. Now yeah. you've gotten points. You know, yes. and you're constantly back and forth. That being said, I mean, I've never had a blowout game of it either. Everything's within no, no, two we, or three we were points. Within, what two points? I think. Yeah, oh, was it two or three. Two or three. Yeah. Two, it was two or three. Right. Maybe but, you're being kind. Maybe it was three. I thought it was two, but maybe it was three. But uh, yeah, everything seems to uh, uh, flow really well with that. Um, I just, just maybe something. There's just something about it. I think that just puts it a step above gateway. Gateway. Game. Do you think it could have something to do with the chaining? That I'm talking about. Yeah, like I think knowing the optimal order in which to execute your moves is something that is not immediately apparent, maybe, to someone who's not used to these kind of games. Yeah, that and building combos and all the different alien tech cards. Right. You know, there's some of them. They're relatively simple, I think, for a gamer, for a non-gamer. There's a lot of um, ideas here that would not be that are not common in okay. your mass market games. Uh, manipulating dice, area control, um, combos. Special powers, yeah. You know, yeah. These, there's a lot that separates it, and there's a lot that changes each turn. Right. All right, so let, let's talk about this then. Uh, we both agreed that we were attracted by the theme, yeah? Oh, yes. Uh, we both, uh, although I, I'm, I'm less convinced than you that there's a, a real theme there, but I, there's certainly no doubt that that's one of the things that attracted me to the game. Uh, and the we, game is beautiful. Like it it's, is, it's yeah. just really nice it's looking. It's nicely done. Yes, um, we both agreed that um, you know we enjoyed this. You know, it Jones theoried quite a few games out of our collections. Um, enjoyed the first plays, especially as you discover those combinations and those those strategies. Um, I enjoyed the sort of game within the game of the resource conversion and worker placement and then added on to that the level of uh, area control I, I really enjoyed that as well uh, is this game though i mean uh, once you've sort of explored the space right i keep using this term decision space which i kind of i've taken from scott nicholson listening to him talk where he talks about you know the 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 he talks about the options that are available to you in a game. Is it possible to over-explore Alien Frontiers and get to the point where the game starts to feel the same? Does it have the legs? That's really what we're looking at 
in this podcast. So what what is your impression? Does this game still have legs? I mean, playing it today... I still loved it. I, I liked playing it today. I think it still does a lot of stuff that's innovative or hasn't been copied or done as well in any other game. Um, if I, like I said, if it's a dice manipulation game you're after, this is, I believe, the best choice. Um, it's still, it's in my, it's my, one of my top ten games. You know, okay. it, it is a game that I just continually enjoy. Um, that being said, it's not that I'm not looking forward to the expansion coming out. You know, I'd like to see what else they're doing with it. Um, and know that it does have some room to grow and can be, um... Enhanced a bit. Right. Um, what would you change or enhance or add if you could? I mean, as a person with a lot of experience of this game, as a uh, unabashed fan of this game, what would you change, add? What would you do? Um, just for understanding, the expansion will address one of my bigger, eh, not really a complaint, just something that I think is a valid complaint. Um, people, there is no surprise score. There is no, you know, Boom, I put my last colony out. Now everybody reveals some of their secret points or hidden points. Um, so that's something that I would change. Um, and I, ah, so they like, are so changing. Like secret objectives. Yeah. Secret objectives, yeah. yes. That so is what they're adding. Control, if you control Herbert Valley at the end of the game, you gain a bonus point. Or yes, like two bonus yeah. points or whatever it may be. Maybe you're getting bonus points for this or that or number of ships. I don't know what they are. Um, in fact, for a game that I like so much, I'm not haven't even looked at the expansion that much. Just know a little bit from what I've heard about it. the factions expansion is what it's called. Um, I'm just kind of waiting for it to come out, and then I'll just buy it. You know, but um, <laughs> so it's an automatic buy for you. Pretty much, yes. Um, and alien tech cards, I believe, are going to be. There's going to be new ones of that that can do different things and change different things. Um, you think there's a danger that it could get too crazy with the alien tech cards? I think that's why they maybe didn't put it in the first game. You know, I, I don't think that these are um, revolutionary ideas. You know, mm-hmm. that that might be coming out. I just think that they wanted to keep it a basic, you know, simple game, and you know, you add complexity for the fans that are craving a little more, something more deeper. That being said, I still. You know, have enjoyed it. I've, it has not grown stale on me. I think every turn is interesting. Um, I think know. it's engaging. I, I yeah. agree with you there. I think it's. I think it's definitely engaging because of trying to optimize your turn and looking at the choices that you have and the available technologies or powers that you have and how can you best manipulate them. I would definitely say it's engaging. Um, I, you know, for me. You and I sitting down and playing this game, you know, when you suggested this for an episode, I, I, I you know, sure, you know, I thought it was a great idea. I've played it quite a bit, but I, honestly, I haven't played it in, geez, probably close to a year. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and again, it's, it's, it's a game that I, every time I look to trade games or sell games and my eye falls upon it on the shelf, I, I'm never kind of given that impulse to trade it or get rid of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I, I do believe what you said is true. I think of the dice manipulation allocation games, this is the best one that I've played. However, that being said, I'm a little disturbed as to why I haven't gotten it to the table more. And and does that say something about the game, or does that say something about me? Now, you know, right off the bat, I'll say it's not my wife's favorite game. I'm not entirely sure why. She really likes dice. She enjoys these kind of worker placement games. But she is not a particularly confrontational person, so that might be why she enjoys something like Stone Age more than she does Alien Frontiers. Um, you know, she, she'd play Stone Age any time that I suggested it. 
Um, but for me, you know, I, I just don't know what, what, how many, how hard has it been for you to get to the table? How much have you played it recently? And what do you think about, you know, is it a game that's going to stick on your shelf? Oh, it's definitely a game that's going to stay on my shelf. Um, I play it, I don't know, like I said, I've played it about, probably about 20 times. It's the first time I've played it since the new year. Um, so that's the first time in four or five months. Okay. I think I played it in December or so with my brother, or, yeah, I mean my wife and brother or something like that. Um, but it's a game that stays on my shelf because it's a game I like, even though I'm still constantly bringing in new games. You know, I'm, right. uh, I'm getting out of it, but I'm a cult of the new Guilty of being in the cult of the new, okay, you know, or have well, been so in the years I'm, past. So, so you know, it's, that, no it's one of those things for that. We're, we're we're both people who enjoy games and enjoy new games, and uh, but yeah, I mean, I, it, it's it's interesting to me that you know both you and I we haven't played a lot recently, but neither of us has a urge to get rid of it, and maybe that's because of what we just said, which is that it does what it does better than any of the other options that are out there right now. Would you say that? that that's, I would say that that's one hundred percent correct. Okay, so Alien Frontiers definitely has some legs. It has some longevity, at least for us. Now, the last thing I wanted to ask you about, Jim, because most of my experience with this game has been two players. Mm -hmm. I've played it four players. I've played it three players. I think it would get a lot more play if it played five. I'm hoping that the expansion might add that. That does add that, yes. does add that good because, you know, I'm a family of five. So uh, not me personally, um, but uh, my family is is five. Um, I I am rather large, but not big enough for five. Anyway, (laughs) um, Alien Frontiers is one I think it would get to the table more often if it would play for everyone in my family. I do find that, you know, games that play two to four – uh, it's sometimes hard because it means someone's not playing or someone has to drop out or it has to be the right situation. Um, that being said, though, I do want to talk about the player number because most of my experience is with a two-player game. And while I find that the two-player game in some ways is much more wide open in that there's you know this big planet that you can look at and you know it, it's kind of impossible in a two-player game for that planet to get too tied up too quickly. There's always an area you can go, if for no other reason than to score two points, right? Yes. One for the colony, one for majority. Um, however, the, the, the thing that I, I also find in the two-player game is that while it's wide open, it does maybe seem to lack some of that competition and lack some of that tension that you get in the four-player game or the three-player game. However, when I've played at three or four players, I do find that downtime sometimes becomes an issue as people are looking to optimize their move and take time and look, well, what if I go here and wait, oh, wait, 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 no, I could use this card first. What's been your experience with the player count? Is you know what would you say is the sweet spot? Is it two? Is it three? Is it four? I've actually liked it at all uh, different sizes. Um, at two player, um, you do you can play more strategically. Like you can say, okay, I'm going to go for this long term strategy. You know, and there's the freedom because the spaces aren't taken. You know, because not the spaces for the dice on the board. They're usually blocked by the dummy dice. But there's room on the planet to get the areas you need. Right. To do what you want to do. Right. Um, in a three or four player game, you're going to be jockeying back and forth and really fighting over those areas on the planet. So you're going to have more confrontation. And you're going to 
um, also be using that Raiders outpost more because there's not enough spaces on the board. Um, in a two-player game, you have a little wide open, which is nice for couples. You know, like it's a good couples game in that way. Like, you know, it's a casual, not in your face type of game. It can be if you want it to be, but when you're getting in a three and four-player game, uh, as I said, you're going to be uh, in each other's face. Yeah, yeah there's just not enough space on the board, which is good. You know, you're going to be, you know, blocking and you know stealing from other players. Um, as far as downtime, I've thought a bit about it, and yes, there is nothing to do when, when it's not your turn. You're right. just going to sit there. But is that such a bad thing? You you know, because literally there's nothing. Yes, Barely have to. No, <laughs> not if you can hang out and talk with your friend or whoever while the other person takes their turn. You know, I mean, I have a habit. I actually like watching people play games, so it's, it's you know, so I can watch you take your turn and be impressed by what you've done. Like, that was pretty cool. You know, like you've, okay. you've turned those mishmash of dice and you've made an excellent turn out of that and i find that a bit interesting okay but on that same time like i don't have to really even pay attention i can come back to the game you know so i can sit back and chat with the person next to me who's also turned it and it may not be and right. you know it doesn't even vaguely um uh need to i don't need to pay half attention you know like it's right you know right. i can pop right back into it you know and be in and out and just have a pleasant conversation while the right. game's going on without disturbing the person who is taking their turn right so you know for you the the you would say it's it it has elements of a social game in that way because there's no real long-term strategy in this there's nothing that you can sort of stay engaged with when it's not your turn i mean see to me uh, that that's a bit of a weakness. That that's something that I don't appreciate about the game when you get into the higher player counts. Now, you know, granted, I've only played um, a three and four player game. I think I played two four players, and I think I played three players once or twice as well. Most of my plays have been two play. Well, and uh, down player, and you know, the downtime for me, you know, is a bit of an issue. Because fairly or unfairly, in my mind, I always associate downtime or uh, a game that doesn't require my attention even when it's not my turn. I've always sort of equated that to there being something wrong. And, you know, you could very well be right. I mean, there, there's nothing wrong with that. And, you know, you can sit and hang and, you know, chat with your friends and, and talk and this and that. And then those things are all true. And, you know, again, I, I guess it really is a matter of perspective. And, you know, that the perspective being is it the, the social experience of playing the game, not just the game itself. Is that also something that you derive a lot of pleasure from? Or, you know, are you playing the game as this sort of, you know, uh, really engaging, thought-provoking competition, you know, that, that is intense. And, um, you know, I think there's room for both of those things. I think that's one of the reasons it hasn't left my shelf, because I am usually a fan of the deeper, more long-term strategy kind of games, um, you know, where, where there's a lot to think about. You know, games like, you know, Imperial or Dominant Species or... Uh, you know, some of these uh, other war games or, or, you know, that I've played where you really are engaged the entire time. You know, I think in, in the last episode uh, about Pazagori with Justin, I referred to them as standing games, you know, games where you're, you really can't sit. You're kind of standing and looking at that board. This is not that. No, and the downtime in this is not that long. I mean, it's... Depending made, on who you play with. All right, yes. Uh, you can pu- sit there and puzzle over it, but that decreases with, with experience. Like, if you've got a dedicated group of three or four who really play this game, your turns are going to be 30 seconds to a minute per play or something, you know, okay. per turn. It's really going to decrease. Um, 
Yeah, you can. So let, let me let me jump on that idea there. I, I know I'm interrupting you, but let me jump on that idea. You know, you're saying that you feel the downtime decreases with experience, and I think I would agree with you on that, especially when it comes to this chaining idea uh, during your turn of how am I going to stitch my actions together. Do you think that that actually might be a reason why the game has some legs and longevity? And that it, do you feel that this is a game that you get better at? As you play, I mean, is there is there a learning curve to this game, or is it, you know, basically? I, let me let me give you an example. Of what I'm talking about when I think Ticket to Ride, right? Here's a gateway game. It has nothing to do with Alien Frontiers. There's no dice, okay? But there's luck in the card draw, right? To me, the one big critical jump that you have to make in order to become a you know quote unquote good Ticket to Ride player. Um, I, I lied. Okay, so it's like Monty Python. You know, the one thing. No, no, no. Two, no. Three, the third thing. Right. Um, <laughs> three to end these nice red ropes. No one expects um, the Spanish Inquisition. That's right, that's right. We have two main weapons, fear and surprise. And an almost fanatical death. No, wait, three. All right, anyway. Uh, enough of our homage to Monty Python. In, in Ticket to Ride, number one, blocking, right? Yes. You can really mess with people by blocking. If you yes. have a sense of where someone's going... That can be a game changer. Which comes Num- with experience as well. Very like true. You've seen those tickets a lot. Number two, you have um, the, the idea of you, you don't just necessarily work on one ticket at a time. I mean, I, I know when I started, uh, when I played this game with my kids, when I played Ticket to Ride, that was a big deal for them. They, they kind of were like, all right, I need to get from New York to Dallas. Yes. And their whole mind was on getting from New York to Dallas, and they, they weren't going to do anything else until they got from New York to Dallas, and they were going to do it in one continuous chain, right? Yes, with, one kid, they, with the kids, you can almost right. like give them one card, because right. that's all they're going to That's all go. they're going to look at, right? Uh, and, and then I think the, the third thing in Ticket to Ride that you have to learn is the idea that you, know, you want to look at tickets that are going to uh, complement each other. You, know, yes. you, don't, you don't always, as a matter of fact, sometimes it's, it's not the best idea to just keep all your tickets, obviously. You know, you, you want to have tickets that are going to work together um, so that you're going to get the maximum uh, chance of scoring those tickets at the end of the game and not getting negative points. Okay, so now let's wrap back to Alien Frontiers. Uh, do you think that there are more things to be learned in Alien Frontiers than in Ticket to Ride? If, if we agree with my premise that those are the only major things you have to learn about Ticket to Ride in order to become a decent player. And you can feel free to disagree with that. But if that's the case, is that why Alien Frontiers is not a gateway game? Is it because there's more to learn about the game than in something, than in something like Ticket to Ride? What do you think of that? Yeah, it's, it's, it's almost like a hidden depth. Like, everything's there. It's on the board. Everything that you're going to... It doesn't change what's happening or, or the, anything like that. But... Just knowing how and when to shift gears. Like, this is becoming too contested, this area of the planet. I need to swap uh, my strategy or my... uh, I need to make that decision to change directions here. Um, In the game we just played, you were fighting me over the... um, Uh, The alien ship one, right? uh, Yeah, Herbert Valley. Yeah, Herbert Valley, right. The relic ship. And, um... Oh, no, that's not Herbert Valley. I don't know what that one was. Anyway. Anyway, the the one with the alien ship. The one with the relic ship. You were fighting over it. Right. So it's like I had to switch gears, get an alien tech card to get the repulsor field, to get in there, and then block you out of it. Right, right. You know, and that's just something that you just know 
you can look for. Right. You know, is that alien tech car going to be out there? I don't know. You know, like, but if it is, I, I, I was looking for it as soon right. as I saw that that was going to be contested. Um, we fought over Asimov Crater, and I decided to let that go. You know, I had used it for a little bit part of the game. Uh, that's the advancement track one. Um, I had used it to get three ships or, or three colonies or so on the board. You had moved in, taken it from me, um, and taken it to your side. Um, and I switched to going to terraforming, right, you know, right. or to the uh, colony constructor. Right. You know, and it's just becoming comfortable with bouncing back and forth between these different... So the flexibility, you think. That's be, something you really do. Being able to don't. be mentally flexible, right? Yes. Is, and, and, and the different things. That, so it kind of your responses to the tactical decisions on the board at any given time uh, requires a level of flexibility that makes the game, number one, interesting, which is why we still have it in our collection. And a familiarization with the cards is also right. fairly also important. Really important. I mean, it's even sitting here talking to you, I mean, th- there's an action that, I mean, I-, I was looking for a way to get rid of that stupid field that was blocking the planet, and there is a way to do that. You can cycle through those alien tech cards. You can yes. discard them and draw three new ones, yeah? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I completely forgot about that. Yeah, so, that's just for one yeah, dice of any type or something like that. Something I I'd, I'd, I'd have to look it up. But uh, yeah, you're, maybe you're right there. There is just a little bit more to this game that would make it something that's not necessarily gateway um, because of needing to kind of know all of those different options and what they can do. Uh, and, and again, it gets down to choices. You know, that's one of the things that I, I made note of in this game is that there's there's always choices, and I appreciate that in any game design. Mm-hmm. So uh, overall, Jim, uh, I, I think we've talked about all the main questions on the podcast, right? Which is, what is it that attracted us to the game in the first place? How did we feel about it when we initially played it? Uh, does it still have legs? Do we, you know, is it something we still enjoy? What have you discovered about the game as time goes on? Um, and you know, we've already kind of answered the question about, yeah, I think it's one that we're going to hang on to for a while. Um, so you know, we and we've kind of talked about the idea that this game sort of Jones theories out some of the other dice games. I mean, people can feel free to disagree, but I, I'm with you in that I think this game does what the these other games we've mentioned, it just does it better than them in a little yes. bit more interesting of a way. Uh, I personally would love to see more long-term strategy, but in a game that involves dice to this degree, I'm beginning to wonder whether it's even possible to have sort of a long... Like, you know, could you play Imperial with dice? No, it wouldn't be the same game, um, you know. And with with Alien Frontiers, I did, I don't know if you really. It is a game about flexibility. It's a mm-hmm. it's a game that is about response, you know, and how you respond to the situations you are dealt with each turn. Right. You know, and I, for me personally, that's something I enjoy a lot in games. You know, most of my favorite games are games that do that. I think Dominion does that very well. Um, you know, it's you know, here's what you have, deal with it. You know, right. and then let's see what you can make out of it. And Figure, every yeah. turn is puzzling through that little mini problem. So, Jim, I want to thank you for uh, stopping by again. It's nice to be able to do this face to face and talk with you instead of uh, over the magic of uh, Skype and the internets there. And I also want to, of course, send a, a special shout out of thanks uh, to the 2d6.org website for uh, hosting our podcast. Uh, much thanks to them. And if you have any comments or questions, please feel free to go to 2d6.org and post your comments there. You can also find us on Board Game Geek. We have a guild called the Longview Podcast, and you can post any comments or questions or disagreements there as well. Jim? Uh, Goodbye, everyone. Um, It's always been a pleasure, Jeff. Thank you very much, Jim. And and, uh, we hope you enjoyed the show, and thanks again for listening.